Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find most of your tennis information. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey with our mentors. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors might provide the roadmap for that journey. On most Thursdays, I will be talking to those mentors who have paved the pathway for many coaches and players. Often you will hear Alan Fox on the first Thursday of the month, although today we've made a little switch and uh, we're blessed to have him today. He should be joining us in a little while. And then on the second Thursday of the month, it's normally Coach Chuck Reese on the third Thursday, like you heard last week with Dr. John Murray. And on the fourth Thursday, it's either Coach Scott Williams or Linda LeClaire, and uh, sometimes uh, we're blessed to have uh, her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, uh, join that. Um, other times, uh, on that fifth Thursday, or because of the switch we had today, we'll have people like Coach Ashley Hobson on. As a matter of fact, Ashley is going to be our mentor uh, for next Thursday's uh, program because uh, – Alan Fox is not going to be able to make it, and uh, Scott Williams this week has uh, had high school uh, teams and the championships, and they're, uh, so he's unavailable. But we've been blessed to have a lot of great people step in, people like uh, Scott Inge, a longtime high school uh, coach, uh, uh, started the National High School Coaches Association, uh, and uh, we've been, I've been blessed to have him at workshops for uh, a couple of times. He came all the way from Kansas to Florida to be at the high school uh, uh, tennis coaches workshop. Uh, another time he did a video presentation for us. And uh, I've been blessed to go way back to uh, when I was tennis coordinator for the uh, World Scholar uh, Athlete Games. Uh, he was one of my coaches there, and today he's coaching college uh, tennis, uh, but he is still uh, very, stays active with the uh, high schools. Uh, people, we have people like uh, Tom Farham uh, uh, has been on uh, before, and we've uh, been blessed to be able to uh, have uh, USTA officials, USPTA officials, um, PTR officials, uh, for during the last three years, we've uh, been able to bring many of those uh, people on the broadcast. Uh, I do recognize that the best broadcasts are those when I do the least amount of talking and uh, our mentors and guests uh, do uh, most of the shows. So I try to keep that in mind all the time. Uh, besides our weekly conversation, the Elmedi Willen, you will be able to continue reading my views in Florida tennis magazines. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree with my articles, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. 
who knows, you may see your views in Florida tennis or hear them uh, on this broadcast, Coach Denise sharing tennis blessings. It wouldn't be the first time. So uh, I do understand. I'm going to give you my views the way I believe them to be. And um, like everybody else, I'm human, so I'm biased. And uh, I'm going to express mine. I respect yours, too. Uh, if you uh, send them to me, uh, who knows? Uh, you might read them or hear them. Like I said, it's Coach Denise, that's D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. And um, if, they, uh, if you're willing to defend your views and if you're not obnoxious and uh, we can have a respectable conversation, who knows what the future will bring. I'd like to also thank J.P. Weber, the Yellow Ball CEO, for hosting our network. And if you're not following Coach, uh, We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're missing out on some important information. Uh, like I said before, uh, I do uh, write an article in uh, every issue of Florida Tennis Magazine. I do have, a, in this past issue, the start of a three-piece article and there because there's a lot of uh, disgruntled people with some of our governing bodies and uh, our organization. The article is Change is Dangerous and Necessary in Tennis. And it's a, really a takeoff of uh, Mark Gillian's uh, Does Tennis Need a New Match? Um, and it'll be run in the next two issues, too. But there's other great articles in there. And, of course, Jim Marks has been doing this for 26 years. He has some fantastic articles in there. And you can go to um, FL Tennis on uh, Facebook. Matter of fact, on all the social, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and uh, see some information on there. Uh, I did uh, actually uh, ask to uh, put an article uh, on uh, Facebook uh, this um, week. Uh, they did put a picture in there of Angela Buxton uh, with the Duchess of Kent and Althea Gibson uh, at the 1956 Wilmington um, Double Trophy presentation. Uh, Angela did an outstanding article uh, in there on page 38, I really suggest uh, if you haven't read the article, you go and uh, read it. Uh, it's a uh, statue will honor Athea Gibson at U.S. Open, and uh, it's a very good article. My only uh, question uh, really is uh, what took so long? Uh, it's, uh, I must admit, that uh, I have um, been a fan of Althea Gibson for years, and I've used her as an example uh, many times uh, during my years of coaching high school tennis, as well as those years conducting uh, District 15 uh, NJTO after-school tennis and the Constitution programs. I often reminded uh, players that long before the great Arthur Ashe won a Grand Slam title, a woman did it first. And uh, it, it, 
gave me great opportunity to explain who Thea Gibson was and uh, the problems we had in tennis at that time. Um, most of you are probably too young to remember, but a lot of times the women tennis would be even pushed to the side uh, when men uh, would uh, we've come a long way, as they say, and I don't think out there Gibson uh, really gets uh, enough credit for what she's done. I've been being blessed to uh, see her play long before women's tennis was popular. Uh, it seemed uh, to support my mother's belief that given a chance, heroes and heroines uh, surround us, and they just uh, needed the opportunity to stand up. And needless to say, uh, often each season I would remind the girls' team uh, that Althea Gibson made it much easier for them to compete. And uh, uh, I probably wasn't uh, the best person in the world for taking excuses uh uh, I really believe that uh, all those mishaps that happened were opportunities to get better. So uh, it wasn't one of my strong uh, points when coaching. So she was a great person as far as I was concerned. And uh, this story really fits into uh, the, our after-school tennis and the Constitution program since John Adams and Abigail Adams were my favorites of all the founding fathers and their wives. And Miss Gibson's struggles and achievements fit well into the story of Abigail Adams, who uh, I loved and her struggles and accomplishments, being able to run the farm when um, uh, women weren't allowed to buy anything, and yet she was able to expand uh that little piece of land while John Adams was doing the government's uh, business and being away from uh, home all that time, um, I, I think most women would have a hard time. And I know some of you are asking, well, how about Thomas Jefferson and James Madison or the other uh, behind the Declaration of Independence? Uh, and they're all important and um, Matter of fact, I suggest you read uh, Wives of the Signers, and uh, you see all about the wives. A lot of people don't realize uh, when these people pledge uh, to each other, uh, they became criminals of the British Empire. And uh, quite frankly, uh, while they were searching for uh, the founding fathers, the wives uh, went through a lot, so uh, it's a special reading. I think it would be important. So, like I said, uh, being we have more correspondence between Abigail and John Adams, uh, I think if you read them, you would probably agree with me that he often took his wife's advice. And uh, quite frankly, that's a lesson that I learned uh, years ago, and uh, like the lessons I tried to present about Althea Gibson and her achievements to uh, my teams and, uh, and doing the after-school tennis and the uh, Constitution programs, uh, it was 
it, it made uh, a lot easier for me to go out and uh, sit there and tell stories. So I really suggest you go to page uh, 38 on the uh, Florida Tennis Magazine and uh, read the article. I think it's a great article. And like I said, um, the only question I have is uh, what took the uh, USTA so uh, long? Uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's one of those uh, things. We have priorities. And I'm not taking nothing away from uh, Arthur Ashe. I, I love the guy dearly. Um, he, he, what he did for tennis was fantastic. Uh, but Althea Gibson, she just was special uh, to me. And matter of fact, to tell you a personal story, uh, I'm sure all of you know she left in the prime to um, go out and play golf, which I haven't done since I left the Marine Corps. Truthfully, uh, when I get old enough, I'll probably take up the game again. But uh, at 78, I'm too young to do that right now. But... um, Years and years ago, down on uh, in New York City, uh, I, if I remember, it was on Third Avenue. Um, Mel Torme used to have a place and uh, down there, and I loved Mel Torme. And uh, we're in there uh, that place one night with my wife, and somebody uh, said that uh, out there, Gibson was down the street and I went to, uh, so we, we left Mel Torme's, which I didn't do often because uh, I loved uh, listening to him and singing, but uh, down the street, Althea Gibson was in a place and she was singing some uh, number. Uh, I don't know if she ever made any records or anything, but uh it was kind of special to hear her sing. I thought she was fantastic, but uh, uh, listening to my voice, uh, you uh, can tell that I'm not an authority on voice, but um, I just thought she was fantastic. And uh, it just, uh, I, I just can't help but to wonder sometimes what takes so long for organizations to recognize special people. And I really do appreciate uh, the article in Florida Tennis because, uh, you know, it'll be great to see uh, a statue of her at the U.S. Open. uh, But again, uh, you know, what the heck took so long? I don't understand. Uh, I just uh, wonder, I think of the Hall of Fame, Dennis Vandemer is still not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, uh, there's... A lot of conversation about the need of new blood in the organizations. Uh, talk on uh, uh, about uh, the American Tennis Patriots, uh, and we talked about uh, before. But uh, you know, these are the things that make us all think, and I think it's important that uh, we uh, don't forget. Uh, you know, what got us here. I think a lot of us uh, owe a lot to uh, tennis and to uh, the people that brought us. We all really stand on other people's shoulders. And I I think we uh, too often, we forget that. And 
that's uh, that's disappointing that uh, we do. But uh, Alan uh, Fox isn't uh, here yet, so I think what I might do is, um, as you know, I usually give uh, commentary. It's not after every show, but the last 10 minutes of the broadcast, when time does permit, uh, I give you my personal views on uh, issues. And like I said, uh, this show is about tennis and life's journey. And I just believe that tennis is a, is a great vehicle to take you through life's journey. I truthfully believe that all sports uh, are a great vehicle. It helps you prepare for the bumps in the road that we all face when we go through life's journey. Uh, and... Um, it's something that uh, going through uh, competition, uh, I think, uh, helps us prepare it. Unfortunately, I think we've become a time in society where competition has become a dirty word. And uh, I think that, um, as you know, those of you that listen to me regularly, I do ask the question often, is high school tennis an after-school sport at your school? or is it an after-school activity? And I think after-school activities are important, but I think after-school sports are more important because they prepare us for the competition we're going to go through the rest of our life. And when these young people leave high school and go on to college, what are they going to do? They're going to compete. When they leave college and go out into the workforce, what are they going to do? They're going to compete. Truthfully, you're competing, trying to make the world a better place and your family a better place for your whole life. So uh, the preparation, I think, sports and especially tennis, because I think you do have to, uh, uh, you know, tennis is like a crisis management. You're putting out a fire continuously. You're trying to take time away from your opponent. And at the same time, your opponent's trying to take time away from you. And um, the game uh, really reflects uh, what we go through in life because time is probably our most precious commodity. And, um, you know, sometimes time is uh, something you're not going to get back. And sometimes people like myself, we get impatient because at my age, I wonder – how much time I have left. So um, I'm in a hurry uh, because I really push because I want us to, I do believe that there's greatness in all of us, like my mother used to say, and it just takes someone to get it out of us. And I think that's, I think about Thea Gibson and I think of my mother at that time, she was at a point in my age when, uh, you know, when I was younger, you don't, appreciate your parents enough sometimes and I was no difference and then uh seeing this black woman come and uh you know winning grand slam title winning Wilmington and US Open um uh, you know gee maybe mom's right uh so it's uh it was a special time what I would like to talk about is a little bit I think some of the discussion going on in tennis now and there's 
a lot of people that feel the USTA is not doing their job, the ITF is not doing their jobs. Uh, there's concern about gambling. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, just today I uh, read an article about that. Supposedly, there's nothing. And the ATP is not a problem, but on the lower level, it could be. Uh, quite frankly, I think that's bull. If there's a problem on the lower end, there's a problem at the top end too. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. But uh, and the problem might just be as little as uh, uh, the Miami Open, uh, which uh, just ended, and what a what a way to close out uh, Candlestick Park and next year. Of course, if you read Florida Tennis, you learned about it first that uh, you know, we're going to be moving. And they've already started uh, work on the uh, the new uh, stadium. Uh, uh, we have that in uh, Florida Tennis on Facebook. But uh, the, um, the the problems we have, some of the, the officiating uh, at Miami didn't appear to be the best. But I think before we start blaming line people. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, why isn't the chair making corrections in there? And the question might be, and which was pointed out to me, and I did look, and it did appear to me, someone says, do you notice, John, that the scores are coming up faster than ever? And that is because when they put the Ricardo's, when the chair puts that score in there, that's going out to all the gamblers in the world 20 seconds later. And um, the question comes up, are we, uh, is the chair, does that mean the main responsibility to get that information out, uh, to get that feed that they collect every single year? Uh, I forgot what the number was. I, was, I just read it today, but, uh, oh, the ITF gets $14 million a year from uh, sports elders, but, uh, you know, it's always easy to put the blame specifically on somebody, uh, but maybe that's not where all the blame goes, which brings me to uh, my commentary tonight. Uh, If you excuse me uh, just for a minute, I'm going to see if uh, my wife can... uh, Contact Alan. I don't know where he is. Bobby? Yeah. Can you uh, find Alan Fox on my phone and give him a call, please? Okay. I'm sorry about that, but this is when you're going on live, uh, what you have to put up with. Um, I uh, I appreciate him making a change, but uh, we will just check in and see. I pray nothing is uh, wrong. But I, as many of you know, I haven't had much time on the tennis court because I've had a few uh, surgeries, and it slowed me down some. And um, rather than drive my wife crazy, uh, you know, life's a lot easier when I'm not in the house most of the day. (laughs) And she reminds me that I can't afford a divorce. So um, it's... uh, I've been doing taking uh, courses uh, from Hillsdale College. I I love history and I love the Constitution, and I've been um, taking uh, courses uh, 
from there. And I couldn't help but thinking of uh, some of the problems we're facing. I think what our governing body in tennis is no different than we're facing today in the U.S.T. in in the United States. And, uh, you know, we're saying they're pushing, uh, trying to push each other. It seems like we're a fraction, uh, taking sides. And I think of the Constitution uh, and as being uh, our founding fathers, I really believe that they were looking at when they formed the republic, uh, the way it was set up that we would have deliberation. And I think if you look at uh, Congress now, to me, it seems like we have negotiations. Uh, some people that are complaining about the USTA and the ITF and other organizations, the ATP, probably uh, would be happy with negotiations. But I believe uh, deliberations is so important, and I do think that in order to do that, we have to listen uh, to each other. And uh, I don't know if... Uh, we do we do that well. So if uh, I, I think maybe um, Congress has to look at it themselves, uh, maybe as uh, hang on one second. Seven one four number. Yes. Okay. I think we have Alan. He'll be joining us in a little while. But I think. That um, you know, a Congress has to uh, act more like a marriage. I mean, I I don't think you, uh, a marriage you can you negotiate a husband and wife together. You deliberate and you find out what's better. You know, what's the best thing for the kids? What's the best thing for our future? What's the best thing to uh, make the house uh, better to live in? And you deliberate, and you just you don't always agree, and many a times you don't. My wife and I, I love her dearly, but we don't agree on a lot of things. Uh, but we've lived together for a long time, and we support each other, and we respect each other. And uh, I'm afraid, I think the biggest problem with tennis right now is no different than the problem we're going through in the country, and that is that we're – uh, the, the country is, is saying they're they're negotiating with each other. They're sitting trying to. Uh, uh, they really have battle lines set up, and they're negotiating with each other rather than deliberating. And I think if you study the founding fathers, uh, the, the 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 reason we went to a republic rather than a pure democracy is because. I think it was Aristotle says in a pure democracy, uh, you're not happy. Everybody's not happy until every dog and goat gets to vote too. And this is why the republic was set up, so that uh, you, we could sit there and deliberate uh, with each other and not negotiate. And I think before uh, we just start uh, – uh, talking and complaining about the USTA, the ITF, the ATP, 
uh, we've got to stand up and talk to them. We have to, uh, I think whoever it was, he or she, that said that uh, freedom was not for the weak, I don't believe that uh, they were actually talking about weapons. I think free speech is an important thing. So I've given you my commentary first uh, tonight. I see Alan on the phone now. Alan, how are you today? Very good, John. How are you doing? I'm blessed, thank you. Uh, good. Are you still packing, or you uh, just forgot Not about me? Not packing yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I actually forgot. It. I, I I hate to admit this, uh, but but I, I I did forget. But thank goodness I got the telephone call from your 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 wife. So. Well, anyway. if it wasn't for I go in the next room sometimes and I wonder, what the hell are you doing in here now for? I'd say something, but <laughs> I have that happen all the time. This is why I have notes all over the place. Well, thanks for And I know it was, you know, the switching around. You get used to uh, being on the first Thursday of the month all the time. Uh, and then all of a sudden we change things around. But I do appreciate you taking the time to change it. Well, uh, my apologies, John. Yeah, I, did, I actually forgot to put it in my, in my cell phone, which usually reminds me of everything. But when, when we uh-huh. changed it, I didn't put the new time in. So anyway, uh, uh, enough on, 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 on my weaknesses. <laughs> well, we're not the only ones. On so story. I did, I did get some emails uh, last week when I put it up and uh, something they said talking about the transitional situations. And there was a few incidences that they uh, suggest, but maybe, uh, can we go into that and you uh, maybe just talk about how the, that momentum can change so easily and when? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, and I call those uh, various situations that you run into in matches transitional situations because there are uh, like inc- incidents in matches and times in matches where uh, there's liable to be a, a momentum shift. And and often the match will be determined by that. It may last till the end of the match. And and examples would be uh, after after a, a bad call or an argument, uh, one or the other of the players or both are going to be shaken up by it. Uh, they're going to uh, have some flaring emotions, and one of the two are liable to, 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 to be upset and, and, and have a bad streak. And, and that can often lead to, to just a collapse. I've seen that many a time. And so actually with my teams at Pepperdine, I used to call that we, we, I'd call it a rhubarb. That's like an old term, but mm-hmm. we, we would have, we had an after rhubarb strategy. And, and that was after any incident or argument or difficulty then you take a minute you gather yourself together and this is an opportunity to either turn a match around or or if if you're sharp you know you can get on top of somebody and 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 roll them for the rest of the match so it, it, it was a time to be ready to play uh the other kinds of 
transitional situations would be after a long game. If you have a game that goes back and forth, lasts a while, uh, then the next game is, is someone's liable to let down. They get a little tired mentally, and they're liable to let down, and, and that's an opportunity for somebody. Uh, another time would be at the end of a set. Okay, at the end of a set, uh, someone's liable to be ready to play and someone isn't. You know, if, if you've won the set, you're, you're very liable to let down a little bit. Uh, and, and the opponent can jump you if you've lost it. So if you won the set, you better get yourself ready to come out of the, the gate uh, ready to play. Uh, if you lost the set, then you should be stung and, and, and motivated to come after the opponent in the next set. Uh, so so th- those are examples. I mean, actually, after long points, you know, someone's usually not – the next point will usually be shorter because someone's going to be tired and not ready for another long point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, – and, and another time when, when you may run into these things is if, if you have opportunities for a service break and, and you have a bunch of ads on your opponent's serve and you, you, you don't uh, – you don't capitalize, and you better watch out. I've seen people lose their serve after that because they're they're a little negative, you know. After they've missed opportunities, you know they get a little negative. So yeah, that seems after, to happen it, more it, than we uh, realize. If it, 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 you see that a lot, I, I know I worry about that when watching a match. If I see somebody had the chance to break and they do. I'd, I say, oh, I've got to watch this next game, see what happens. Yeah, or if they do break, then they're liable to let down in the next game. Uh, either mm-hmm. that or get cautious and conservative, you know, trying to, you know, make make good their service break. In, in, in any case, if, if you have a tough game and either you break or you have opportunities and don't break, that next game is, is potentially a transition situation. So the, those you. are the the major ones. Yeah, go on, John. Sorry. Yeah, I was just uh, just watching the Fed Cup, and I I, I turned off. Uh, well, I didn't turn off the match. My wife was, but I said I was going outside to do some things, and uh, I said, "Well, this match is over." She said, "No, it's it's not. There's almost a whole set to match." But I could just see. Now you play in Davis Cup. Is there more pressure, or do you get out of habits? Uh, you know, I'm just curious. To... Well, a, a, a lot of people feel there's more pressure because you're playing for your country. I mean, with, uh, when I played Davis Cup, actually I played against a very weak team, Iran. And so I didn't feel any pressure because I didn't think I could lose because they weren't very good, uh, luckily. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I were playing in the challenge round, which I didn't get to play in, uh, maybe I would have felt differently. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I, I hear that. I mean, I would think it would be mostly motivating. It would be for me. I mean, if I were playing, I, I would have been excited and motivated. Uh, 
by the opportunity. And, and when they play the national anthem and they say advantage United States and that sort of thing, that would stimulate me. I would, I would feel, you know, patriotic. I'd feel good. So, uh, but I think, I guess it's an individual thing. I have heard players say that they, they, they get more nervous in Davis cup than they would in a tournament. Mm-hmm. Just, the, yeah, the, I, the, I guess the pressure of the country looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, so many things you can't figure out. Uh, some people seem to play better when they're behind than when they're ahead too. And that's, uh, I know I used to have a saying, unless you, if you could look across the net and you believe you're twice as good as that player, maybe, maybe you could play safe. But if not, if that if you're not at least twice as good as that player, you can't play safe. But I see that happen uh, to me a lot. But am I wrong? Well, most players in, in my in my uh, consulting experience, uh, a lot. Uh, one of the most common things that players have a problem with, uh, they'll tell me, is when they get ahead, they get nervous. When it's time to close an opponent, uh, they get more. They get nervous. They and most and and, and that's pretty common. Uh, I even polled. I guess I, I was writing a book, my first book. In the, in the middle 1970s, and so I polled a bunch of players uh, that had won major tournaments, uh, people like Stan Smith that had won Wimbledon and stuff, uh, and asked them when they get the most nervous, when they're ahead or when they're behind. Uh, and, and, and champions told me that they got the most nervous when they were ahead and about to finish. And I think that uh, that holds when you're playing an opponent that you're afraid of, that's good. When I, and when I say afraid of, I mean that, that you have some concern that's as good as you or better that could beat you and you're ahead of them. That's when most people get nervous, uh, especially as it gets towards the end of the set where they can, they can see the finish line and they start getting uh, antsy about being able to finish. Uh, most people, when they're behind, they're not as nervous. Uh, the problem when you're behind, of course, is discouragement. I mean, the, the, the two players, one behind, one ahead, have different, different issues. The one ahead is liable to get conservative uh, and, and, and nervous. The one behind is liable to get uh, discouraged and negative. And so those are the issues that the players have to fight. They have to try to... Uh, you know, you keep stable emotionally un- under those situations. Uh, it doesn't make sense, actually, that that you should get more nervous when you're ahead. That 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 is sort of paradoxical, because you know you have to say, what are people nervous about in a tennis match? What makes people nervous? And 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 what's what's there's there's a certain amount of fear. An uncertainty in a, in a close tennis match, and you, you ask, what are they afraid of? And the answer would always be, they're afraid of losing. 
That's what people are afraid of. They're certainly not afraid of winning. Uh, everybody wants to win. Uh, although I've heard the expression, oh, he's afraid to win, which, of course, makes no sense at all. Uh, nobody is afraid to win. They're, they're afraid they're not going to win is what they're afraid of. Uh, and, and what happens is they see the finish line very close, and that's when it gets to them because they're, they're concerned that they're not going to be able to, to get over the finish line. I mean, there, there's a big difference between getting close to winning and actually winning, okay? Getting to 5-4 uh, in a set, serving for the set, is not as difficult as serving the set out at 5-4, okay? It, 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 when you think about it, like early in, early in a set or early in a match, you're not really worried so much about winning the match at that point. The finish line is quite far away. It's not in your view screen. So at one all, you're just worried about getting to two one, you know, you're just trying to win the next game or so, but at five, four, now you're thinking about winning the whole set. And and that's, that's quite a difference. I mean, winning the set or losing the set in, in a, in a regular two out of three set match. I mean, if you win that one game, you've got half the match. You know, you're up a set. That's a big, big uh, jump, big hurdle. And so, you know, people want to get over the, as they get close to the, to the end of the set, they want to get over that hurdle. But against a good player, you may have uh, concerns that you're not going to be able to do it, which is what most people feel. If you play somebody you're not afraid of at all, if they're not that good and you're pretty sure you're going to win, then when you get ahead, you don't get nervous. You know, you, you think you're going to win, so you get ahead. Like when I was playing somebody I thought I could beat, I felt fine when I was ahead. No problem finishing up. When I played somebody that was as good as me or better, when I got a chance to win, that's when I got tight. So Yeah, that's an excellent observation because I think there's – uh, and, and I don't want to name names across, but looking at uh, today's men and women, I mean, it's uh, an equal opportunity on both sides. Uh, but there's uh, there's people we call front runners is because when they're ahead and they're playing good, it's hard to beat them. But uh, they get behind, and uh, you can sense that, boy, they're in trouble now. And, and sometimes if it's somebody that I really like, uh, truthfully, I'll, I'll find something to do because I just feel, oh, this is going downhill fast. Uh, I, I mean, it's interesting. You watch someone like even Federer, you know, the greatest player of all time. You watch mm-hmm. Federer, and, and he's been better recently, of course, but, but he had a couple of years where when he got ahead, against someone he was afraid of, you could see him get nervous. And, I mean, I think twice against Djokovic in the U.S. Yeah. Open, in the semis, he served for the match and, and had match points. Got nervous. I remember, mm-hmm. I think on one of them, he was up 40-15 for the match at 5-3 or 5-4 in the, either four, in the fifth set, I think. Uh, right. 
and he and 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 he lost the two points, and 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 Djokovic got even, and then Federer fell apart. I don't think he won yeah. another game, and Djokovic ran out the match, and then the same thing happened the next year. Uh, you know, he did it twice with Djokovic, uh, but when Federer plays someone he thinks he's going to beat, I mean, he's a great front runner, and that's most people. He thinks he's going to beat most of them. He gets ahead of him and he blows him out. But if he's concerned about his opponent, you know, it's a different story. I mean, he, 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 you know, the great players have an advantage because they, they are better than mo- almost everybody, <laughs> probably than everybody. So, uh, of course, they think they're going to win, <laughs> you know, because right. they're better said, than the he, other players. <laughs> yeah, years ago I you mean, said about Serena Williams how – Great she would because she was better than her. She could hit the ball harder and everything. And I think you could you could see that once she got ahead, boy, you figure, oh, you could, you kind of well, just actually, Serena Williams. Uh, I I I have to uh, I I have to just slightly uh, add something to those statements. Serena Williams was unusual as far as her mentality was concerned in a few ways. Serena Williams. As a, as a player, as a striker of the ball and a mover and a server was unparalleled. There was nobody as good as she was at, at doing all of those things. I mean, serving, running, and hitting. However, Serena Williams uh, was emotionally unstable. She was so much better than everybody. She really didn't have anything to worry about. But despite that, she did worry. Uh, she yeah. was quite the little choker, actually, when she got ahead. That was that was the, the the only way she ever lost. In my, I shouldn't say the only way, but she rarely was beaten by a better player. It was almost always she would get nervous and play poorly and start missing. You know, when she get nervous, she just miss a lot. Uh, she, she actually her strength and and this is something for people to keep in mind her her real strength was that she was quite a little choker okay but but and she choked when she was ahead but when she got behind she didn't get discouraged that was that was her secret sauce and she she got behind she would fight and and when she got behind she wasn't nervous anymore usually and so she was a great comeback artist. I mean, in many, many matches, her opponent would be like serving for the match and, and, and get blown out anyway. Uh, a couple of years ago against Azarenka at the U.S. Open, it was a typical Serena match because she was afraid of Azarenka. Azarenka was one of, the, one of the few gals that wasn't afraid of Serena that much. She was capable of beating her. And... and Serena in the first set blew her out. This was in the finals of the of the U.S. Open. Blew her out about six three in the in the first set, and then Serena, you know, she starts thinking about winning the tournament. Gets nervous, and plays a terrible second set and lost it. And then in the third set, it was pretty close, but uh, Azarenka got up a service break and served for the match at five four in the third. And never had a chance from there on. It didn't look like she was going to win the match, even serving for it. 
I mean, Serena buckled down and blew her out. You know, so that th- that would be typical of Serena. You know, gets ahead, gets nervous, then gets behind, then fights, and then the next time, you know, clinches the match. Which is how about people, a, coach? Yeah, go on, how, about peop- how about people that just don't do good at well uh, when playing with somebody? Like if you're doing a team, I'm, I don't know if you had it at Pepperdine or anything, but I've had uh, people on my team that couldn't beat somebody else. A matter of fact, on another team, uh, a young lady I coached. Uh, played number two on his team, and she was the best player on that team, but he believed in just the latter. He he didn't pick who was going to be there. He played. She couldn't beat this one girl. Uh-huh. That's what why, is, by the way, I didn't, like the, I didn't like to have for that. I mean, it, maybe it was bad coaching on my part in that case, but, uh, you know, she would beat everybody else, but she couldn't beat the girl in front of her. She played number two on that team, which of course she was. She won all her matches because at number two she was really, should have been a number one player. If she was on my team, she would have been a number one player because I knew she was the better player. Uh, that that was a reason when I coached Pepperdine, I did not allow challenge matches to determine position on the team. Uh, I, I didn't you. like challenge matches for position. Uh, I, I wanted to decide uh, who played where. Uh, and, and, and the reason being, uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you could have those kind of matchups where somebody just has a bad game for somebody on their team but isn't really a better player versus the world at large. So you'd get uh, someone out of place because of the challenge matches. But there was another more important issue, and that is when, when your players on your team are playing each other, they know each other's games, and they know what the other person can do. And so they, they, they've had a lot of experience playing each other. Uh, and so they can handle maybe a lot of people can handle that situation. But what they may not be good at is when they play somebody they don't know, okay, and they don't know their game, and they can be bluffed out or, or uh, confused because they don't, they don't understand exactly what strategy to use or what their weaknesses are. Some people are very good at picking up the opponent's weakness right away. Uh, others, you know, like, like your opponent hits uh, two great backhand passing shots, and, and one person will be scared off the net. They go, you know, that gets them. Whereas another person uh, may see that, that, that they just had a couple of good shots and they can't keep it up, okay? Now, that's the difference if they play somebody they don't know and they've got to figure out what, they, what the other person can do and what they can't do. See, when they're playing each other on the same team and, and they go into the net on, on one of the guy's bad backhands and the guy hits a great backhand, they think to themselves, well, they already know it's not a good back end, so they'll keep coming in on it, okay? If it was a stranger, they might get bluffed out and might not realize it's a weak side. So I, I didn't like challenge matches to decide it. I, I liked results in tournaments to decide position or results in, in 
dual matches. You know, someone's losing a lot. They they need to play a little lower. So, yeah, uh, there are particular games, uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses that match up well or poorly. And so individual players, or sometimes you get a, have a psychological uh, uh, decrement against somebody. You know, that mm-hmm. number two gal, you know, may have had just sort of a psychological glitch with the number one player. I don't know. You, you don't know whether it's just just the uh, uh, sort of strengths and weaknesses, or whether you get psyched out. Like when I was playing at UCLA, uh, I was psyched out against this guy named Larry Nagler. Okay, uh, at UCLA in my sophomore year, I had ended up I was the number one player on the team, uh, and and. In my junior year, this new player came on the varsity team named Larry Nagler, who was a great athlete, and he was quicker than I was, and his game didn't match up well against mine, and he started he beat me a couple of times, and then I got psyched out against him, and he took over the number one position, and I got more and more psyched every time I played him. You know, it became – he wasn't really uh, – well – he did win the NCAA singles, so he wasn't too bad. But against <laughs> against other players, I did better than he did in general. But anyway, he beat me all the time, so I, I, I was certainly psyched against him. I didn't like playing him. But it was more mental often, than anything else. I often wondered about that with, um, with Serena's sister, you know, if it was big sister, Serena was better than her and how much of it was, you know, big sister. Uh, I never, you know, well, I, I they were both, both great players. Huh? Sorry, John. Yeah. Yeah. They were oh, both great ahead. players. Yeah. Both, both great players. Uh, Serena was just greater. S- Serena had a better game. Uh, she could do more. Both of them very, very fast. Serena served. I mean, Venus had quite a good serve, but Serena's serve was a lot better. Uh, and as for ball striking, they were probably pretty close to equivalent. Uh, I think Serena may be a little tougher competitor, although they're both good competitors. They, they, they both uh, had similar uh, issues of choking. I mean, both of them choked a lot. Right. More, more than most people, uh, and and I, I, you know, I often wondered about that, you know, because both of them had sort of the same strange upbringing in tennis. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, oh, yeah, Venus, in particular, like Venus at about eleven was the best player for her age in Southern California, eleven right. or twelve. And, and then her father held her out of tournaments, didn't let her play right. junior tournaments for three or four years. Okay. Uh, and so it, 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 neither of them worked their way up through the juniors against their peers. You know, both of them were better players than anybody else, but I, I, they, they didn't have the years of junior experience against 
against their peers where it was pressure. And so right. um, I, I suspect that that had something to do with their choking. You know, they weren't secure in their own minds as secure as they should have been. They were so much better than everybody. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, that's a funny dynamic. Uh, I, I may, I may get uh, some negative uh, feedback from what I'm going to say, but, but, I felt Richard Williams was a scam artist, basically. You know, what 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 I saw from the outside was that he didn't let them play tournaments, but but he he did fan up a lot of like talk about how great they were going to be. You know, you would hear all this talk about Venus Williams going to be the next world champion, and Serena's going to be the next world champion. And, and all that talk, but not letting them play tournaments. And my, my, my suspicion is that Richard was getting a lot of benefits out of the two girls, particularly Venus. In other words, they were uh, living at Macy's place back in Florida, uh, you know, getting a bunch of freebies from I don't know what. From various well, sources. I think he was. Um, I think he was learning too. I had um, the privilege of meeting him in uh, South Carolina at the PTR convention. The PTR made him coach of the year, and he privately told everybody that, you know, he thanked everybody in there. He said, "I'm the biggest robber in the world. I, I've stolen everybody else's ideas." He says, and I didn't really coach him, but he's a He's an interesting uh, gentleman. We exchanged uh, Christmas cards for a few years, and then um, he got bigger and more famous, and they lost track of him. But, uh, well, listen, we're just about uh, well, shot. Well, I, I got I to say one more thing to finish that up, uh, the, okay. the William, the, the Richard, and that is he was claiming that the two girls were going to be playing in the finals of Wimbledon against each other that they were the two greatest and they were going to be the best. This is when they were young in the juniors, even before that, without any, without tournaments. And, and, and I, at first, there's no way you can know that. You can't possibly know. <laughs> you, you can have talent, but you can't know till they actually get in the tournament. And so I think he was saying that, you know, as a scam. And then it turned out, that he was telling the truth, although he didn't know it. That's what right. I think. There was well, no he way was, he could know it, and it turned out to be true. <laughs> he was a promoter. you got to give him credit, which brings us to uh, – I did my commentary while I was waiting for you at the beginning of the show, and I told everybody I, they should read uh, page 38 of Florida Tennis and uh, – He's going to be a statue uh, that will honor Thea Gibson at the U.S. Open. And Angela Buxton uh, wrote a great article in there. And I always thought, uh, as I stated earlier, she was a special person to me. And uh, she just reminded me of my mother's saying that there's heroes and heroines and uh, surround all of us. And it's just an opportunity to bring it out and, I always reminded my girls' teams that before uh, the great Arthur Ashe, who I loved, uh, there was Althea Gibson and, uh, you know, did it just like Benny. So, 
Coach, tell the people uh, how they get a hold of winning mental match or the winner's mind or think to win. Or, uh, those books are going to learn a lot, but uh, you can't beat talking to the consultant himself, and that's the great Alan Fox. Tell them how to get a hold of you. Well, uh, they can go to my website, alanfoxtennis.com. Actually, I've changed it. It used to be alanfoxtennis.net. But now it's alanfoxtennis.com. My books are available on my site, but they're also available at uh, Tennis Warehouse uh, or Amazon. Um, But but on my site, you you can get them autographed. So same price as everywhere else. Uh, So that's it. That's where the stuff is. Uh, I, I also have a videotape out. Uh, on the mental game uh, with championship books and videos. So uh, there's a, like a one-hour video of, of uh, a bunch of the mental stuff. Oh, anyway, good. I've got, so. I didn't realize that. Boy, I've got, to, um, I've got to talk to you. Well, listen, we're out of time. Uh, you and Nancy have a safe trip, and uh, uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Well, so do I, John. I, I apologize for being tardy today, and and uh, we won't be back for a, for five weeks. So we'll be back, uh, you know, like the second week in June. Right. Well, I will. Uh, I will uh, make sure as soon as you get back, I'll contact you, and we'll. Uh, you have a safe trip, though. That's the important thing. Okay. Well, th- thanks, okay. John. I mean, if it wasn't for the bad time deal, we could. May, we could do it from Europe, but I think the time is so bad. It's like yeah. the middle of the night, so yeah, it's not going to work very well. You enjoy yourself. You have a blessed trip Thanks, now. John. Bye-bye.